This is The Green Desk on 95BFM. This week on The Green Desk, I spoke to Dr. Kepa Morgan about Modi modelling, a framework for decision-making which measures sustainability trends using a number of indicators which may be either flourishing, languishing, or within their normal range. Unlike a purely economic view of sustainability, the model recognises four dimensions of well-being, environmental, cultural, social and economic. Kerpa first invented the modiometer in 2008 in his thesis about municipal wastewater management, but since then it has been applied throughout the country to a number of ecosystems, including the clean-up following the Rena oil spill. Kerpa and I spoke about the model, how it complements and even improves on Western science, and why we value certain types of knowledge over others. He began by shedding some light on the idea of Modi. I don't really like being put in a position where somebody wants a definitive definition of Modi. I think Modi is best understood by hapu and iwi in the context of their own rohi. But the understanding, I guess, in a way that's more modern is that it's the life-supporting capacity of anything. So it might be the life-supporting capacity present within a person, might call it their vitality or something like that. It's the life-supporting capacity in a rock too, though, or in the water that we're drinking. And different water has different aspects of life-supporting capacity, both in terms of the physical nourishment and also in terms of the spiritual nourishment that it gives you. And so if you think about Modi like that, for me, it means that we can understand the way things interconnect and interreact, and it explains the reasons for tapu around wahi tapu, such as urupa, and the reasons that we use tikanga, our practices, to manage the various modi and how they interact. And that ensures that we can keep our own modi vibrant and alive, and that if we're responsible for others and for other places and how people interact with them, we can ensure that the modi of both those people and the modi of any places that are important, the integrity of the modi is, is retained. It's like a way of understanding how to behave. And so with that in mind, how do you kind of adequately measure or, or model where a Modi is at? Especially, as you're saying there, there is a spiritual metaphysical element to it. If you think about gravity as a concept, you know, 500 years ago, they didn't know how to measure gravity. And it was actually through gaining the understanding of gravitational force as a measure, they were able to explain our heliocentric universe. That stuff wasn't even understood um, up until less than 500 years ago. You know, so when you start to measure something that was thought to be unmeasurable, you can gain further insights into what's going on. And gravity is this invisible force that we can't sense. We can't smell it, hear it, see it, taste it or touch it. But we believe in gravity because it explains a huge amount around us. And Modi is just like that, except Modi isn't the attractive force between two physical objects. It's the attractive force between the physical and everything else that makes life possible. So how do you measure it? Really good question. My understanding of how our tupuna measured Modi differs from the way scientists might think that they would measure it. And this maybe explains why people are cautious about discussions regarding the measurement of Modi. I think our tupuna understood measurement of Modi in terms of they understood when the Modi of different things that they were familiar with was in its normal 
range of variation. And I guess the common sense behind that is that if you're living in a very complex world, you don't want to be wasting your time observing things that are varying, as they should with you know natural cycles and so on, but are not varying outside the normal variation that would be expected. So you don't really want to waste your focus looking at stuff that is just doing its thing. But when things vary outside the normal oscillations or harmonies that they operate within, their seasonal changes and so on, that's when you want to be taking notice because that may then have an impact elsewhere within your whole world. So the trick is actually to know when the variation in Modi of something is significant. And to do that, I created a a way of measuring Modi that's called the Modiometer. The Modiometer works this way. The the variation in Modi that's um, normal has an upper and lower threshold, and those are plus zero and minus zero. So zero has a range. Now, the variation in there, the reason it's zero is intuitive The Modi is varying in that range and the impact upon the holder of that Modi, whether it be a place or a person or a water body, anything really, it's indifferent to that variation because it's temporary and it's within its normal operating range, if you like. If it exceeds the plus zero threshold, that means its Modi is more vibrant and more flourishing than just uh, maintaining business as usual. Likewise, if it exceeds the negative threshold, it's no longer in a sustainable state and its diminishing Modi will need to be responded to. Um, And sometimes the negative threshold is entered as part of our life. You know, towards the end of our life, we start to go past that negative threshold and our modi is diminished and it weakens. We lose aspects of our faculties, if you like, and, and, you know, our capability. And eventually the modi is diminished to the point that it can no longer hold our spiritual being intact with our physical being and and we die. So that's how modi's measured. It's got a plus zero and a minus zero for for an indicator or, you know, something you're looking at. And the beauty of that, I think, is that if you're wanting to understand how the modi of things interact, if you know which ones are not changing in a significant way, they have zero influence on your understanding of the change that's occurring. If they are, however, outside the plus zero, minus zero thresholds, you have an absolute understanding of whether the modi is enhancing and contributing to a collective enhancement or whether it's diminishing and so diminishing the collective modi, which means you've got a very clear understanding of whether things are good or bad and which way you're heading. Because if you exceed the negative zero threshold, there's an ongoing diminishing of modi that eventually you'll arrive at that point where things collapse. And likewise, if you're on the other side, if you exceed the positive zero threshold, you're building resilience in whatever system it is you're you're in, whatever ecosystem, so that when things do come out of left field and, and you're not prepared for them, your ecosystem has the resilience to accommodate those unforeseen things and continue on. So that's how you measure Modi, zero plus or minus. And in terms of if you want at a particular state and time, you define a plus two, which is the absolute maximum flourishing or 
of the Modi, as vibrant and resilient as it possibly can be. And if you're uh, exceeding the, the plus zero, unless you've achieved that absolute flourishing, you're going to say the state is plus one because you know it's better than its normal variation but it has not achieved its absolute best flourishing. Uh, likewise, if it exceeds the negative zero threshold, you know that the Modi is being diminished and compromised, but unless it, it achieves the negative two state, which is totally denigrated, Modi noho, so the Modi has actually ceased to do anything, it's going to be a minus one. And I think that is a way of understanding different components of an ecosystem and an ecosystem overall that's very easily understood and communicated. It's intuitive and different aspects or elements of an ecosystem can be aggregated and they still retain their meaning as an aggregated unit. I really do. I like that idea of using negative and positive because it really just is intuitive. You know, you can look at it and you know that it's languishing or it's it's flourishing. It's a good thing or a bad thing. Whereas often I feel it with some scientific measurements, you know, if it's however many parts per milliliter of you know, this pollutant, you don't know what's good and what's bad, what's normal. And so I really like that it gives you that baseline. Seeing as you've raised water quality, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's been a bit of um, a bit of debate amongst the scientists about appropriate thresholds for dissolved nitrogen in water. 0.2 to 0.3 milligrams per litre of dissolved nitrogen is sort of what you'd normally expect to see in a waterway that isn't being impacted negatively by pollution. At one milligram per litre, things start to change. And that's where the biota and that start to um, be stressed by the dissolved nitrogen concentrations. So for me, the plus zero threshold is 0.2 or 0.3 milligrams per litre. The minus zero is one milligram per litre. And it's common sense because if you go further than the minus zero, you know that you're diminishing the modi. Then you've got to look at why and um, whether you want to allow that to continue or whether you want to intervene and change. So, I mean, if we adopted that approach nationally, straight away you're going to see an improvement in the waterways. Yeah, and what you've kind of got there is an example of how Western science and Modi modelling can kind of work in conjunction. But I was also wondering if, in your opinion, are there things that Modi modelling can offer that Western science doesn't take into account? Well, I think the Modi model does a number of things that Western science can't. And Western science can't do these things because it makes some initial assumptions that excludes knowledge. And a lot of the initial assumptions it makes excludes knowledge that is from indigenous sources. You've got some things about science that are supposedly good. Uh, one of them is that scientific fact, you know, um, it has to be repeatable. You have to get the same result in different places doing the same experiment. That sort of thinking is quite limiting because there's a huge amount of knowledge and understanding that's excluded by putting those very narrow constraints on what's useful knowledge. Another thing that science does is I think it has the assumption that the more decimal places you can put on a reading or a measurement, the more accurate it is. I think that level of complicatedness actually obscures the true meaning of, of some of the data you're looking at. And so, as you said, parts per billion, all well and good, but it's only scientists or maybe engineers that really have any understanding of the relevance of the numbers and, and what a change in the numbers would mean. Otherwise, anybody else is relying on those scientists to tell them whether it's good or bad. And so science might have a very, very, very accurate understanding of change, but 
science is unable to communicate what that change means without an interpreter. And that's where things get political and where vested interests can come into play. So I think the modiometer measurement is actually an improvement on that, is while it doesn't rely on really, really accurate numbers for precision, it has some absolute thresholds that are predetermined that mean everybody can intuitively understand what's going on. The other thing that the Modi model decision-making framework does is the opposite to science. Science assumes that reality is the same for everybody, and it's not. I mean, you know, the way people experience the same circumstances differs. And the Modi model decision-making framework actually identifies and understands that at the outset, everybody's viewpoint um, can be shown to be valid. It's just that they bias or privilege different aspects of the information that's available differently. And I think that's one way of moving towards a collaborative outcome type of approach to decision making rather than the competitive approach that's in existence now where somebody's right, somebody's wrong, somebody wins and somebody loses. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you're talking about, I mean, decision making there and the different biases and interests that people bring into it. Certainly a common trend we see in sustainability recently is that economic sustainability is always a feature in there when we're talking about the environment. And I wondered how this kind of way of thinking about things turns that on its head a bit. Yeah, I think it does. I think economics are overprivileged in a lot of decision making. Yeah, I think it's been summed up many times by many people. But one of the um, quotes that I love is a Hawaiian elder who said that really money speaks too loudly. Because obviously your original 2008 thesis was in regard to municipal water management, but I know that Modi modelling has been adopted widely across the country in different settings and different ecosystems. How do you feel about that? I mean, do you have any concerns about that? Equally, have you received any criticism? Because like we were saying before, with the idea of gravity, you know, when something's a new concept, inevitably you're going to have to push up against other people's worldviews before they accept it and understand it as truth. So one of the things um, when, I, when I did my thesis, basically I was trying to explain that um, impacts upon Modi had to be taken into account when decisions were made about our ecosystem, in particular the water environment. And the scientists and engineers were saying you can't include considerations of Modi unless you can quantify it in monetary terms. And I said, no, you cannot measure Modi in monetary terms. And so they said, well, we can't include considerations of Modi. And so that was why I created the framework. When I was finishing the thesis in 2007, I had to make a decision whether to fight the little battles on the home front, if you like or whether I put some effort in and took it overseas. And the thinking was that there are a lot of people that are resistant to the Modi model simply because of the knowledge origins that it has. Because it comes from indigenous thinking, from the tangata whenua, unfortunately there are people that are so ignorant that they will not accept knowledge as having any value when it doesn't come from their monocultural mindset and what they consider must be valuable and discard everything else um, that isn't from that origin. But what I did was my strategy was to take the Modi model overseas. And the thinking was that it would come back dressed up in different clothes. And these people would think it was the best thing since sliced bread. 
and the Modi model has been picked up and adapted in a number of settings overseas. And interestingly, those monocultural people that exist overseas as well, they are way less threatened by the Modi model from Aotearoa, New Zealand, than our monocultural people here who are sort of stuck in that frame. In terms of propagating the Modi model in New Zealand, as you say, people are picking it up and running with it. But, you know, the politics around this are quite interesting. A lot of the resistance that I've experienced is um, one of two things. It's, it's around power. People in powerful positions of influence are very threatened when a conceptual way of understanding things turns up that is going to make that power base they utilize more transparent. It removes some of the mystique that they maybe rely on to exercise power in other ways. So there's also some resistance in that regard. But by and large, I think once people realize that the way our world is becoming means that unless it's measured, it doesn't matter. So the Modi model decision-making framework does allow us to measure things that matter. And Modi matters. And if we don't measure it, it won't. It will for us, but it won't for the people making the decisions. So we have to be able to show that the things that are important to us are being impacted upon in ways that are unacceptable so that those in the positions of power that make the decisions change their behavior, share their power with others who also have valuable insight, and we get actually um, some shift in momentum towards a um, sustainable future. One of the things we came up against with the RENA, which was post my thesis, uh, but I had a PhD student, Tumanako Faui, doing that research for his PhD. And we offered to do the analysis for the RENA disaster for all iwi. So straight away, there was some attempt to confine that. We were asked to do the work, but when we came back and said, okay, we'll do it from this approach, we will develop the cultural understandings from different hapu and iwi to model what's happening in that space, in that Modi dimension. Uh, but we will also utilise the social, environmental and economic impact modelling that's being done by others so that we can represent the holistic picture of what's going on. Now, the, the leader of that uh, recovery wasn't interested at all in us giving a holistic representation. They wanted to pigeonhole the, um, the cultural impact assessment, as it was being called, and keep it in its place. Our understanding of uh, restoring the Modi of the impacted uh, environment to its pre-rena state was that that environment included the people, it included um, the economic considerations around that um, site that was damaged, um, and it also included the cultural and the social impacts. So they said, no, you're not being funded unless you agree to constrain yourself only to cultural considerations. And we said, thank you, but no, thank you. We'll do it ourselves um, on our own steam. So we got independent funding. We created the digital modiometer.org to ensure that all the iwi and hapu had access to the way that we were doing our analysis on the RENA disaster. That was Dr. Kepa Morgan talking about Modi modelling. Kepa finished by saying that using the Modi model is like riding a bike. You can read about it all you like, but you still won't know how the elements actually come together to carry it out. He encourages people, therefore, to get out and try it yourselves, which you can do on the website modiometer.org. 
That was the Green Desk on 95 BFM. Tihei Modi Order.